feisty, fearless, and fair. She's an Emmy-winning journalist from the White House to war zones, telling all sides of the story. This is the Rita Cosby Show. Lovely Rita, meet a maid, nothing can come between us. When it gets dark, I tow your heart away. Standing by a parking meter, when I caught a glimpse of Rita, filling in the ticket in a little white book. Breaking news. And tonight on the Rita Cosby Show, a big mystery surrounding why the hostage release seems to now be delayed. What is going on? Now we are hearing that no hostages will be released before Friday in a sudden delay. And there are also reports tonight that Hamas, despite earlier reports that it had signed on to this deal where it was going to give about 50 hostages that it's been holding since it ruthlessly attacked Israel on October 7th. Well, they were talking about about 50 of them coming out, staggered 10, 10, 10 hostages, including some Americans. Now there appears to be some hitch and some delay. There was expectation that it could come as early as 3 a.m. East Coast time. And that would have been a really, really great thing, obviously, to see some hostages come out and to see them finally actually going and doing the walk, you know, and and coming to freedom. To me, I'll have tears in my eyes whenever I see any of these hostages come out, especially if they're Americans, but anybody, because... Boy, I've been rooting for every single one of them. I see the posters all over the country of these hostages. I feel like I know some of them. I've talked to some of their family members. We see them all over the news. And yet now there appears to be some sort of delay. And everybody's wondering, why is that the case? A delay in the release, a delay also in the ceasefire, because there was at first supposed to be a pause starting at 3 a.m. Eastern time tomorrow Starting on Thanksgiving, these terrorists seem to play off on the holidays. They seem to like uh, playing off and looking like they're sympathetic on a holiday. But now, for some reason, this deal has hit some sort of unexpected snag. So what do you think it is? Do you think Hamas was just playing all along? Do you think that there is more to the story? Do you think that maybe they were just kind of trying to test the waters and see if Israel would bite? but they actually don't want to do it? Are they playing games? When you're dealing with terrorists, you can't trust anything. But they did say before, when they had Qatar in the middle, when they were releasing a few of the other hostages, they did come through with them. So they have kept their word once in a while. So what is this all about? What do you think this sudden delay is all about? Are they trying to remind Israel and others? Are they trying to say, hey, look, maybe we have the upper hand? Are they trying to gather the hostages? Uh, is there some snag that we just don't know about? What are your thoughts, guys? 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. This also comes as there was, it looked like, maybe a potential terrorist attack. They thought at first going between Niagara Falls, the bridges that connect it, of course, the one from New York into Canada, But the governor of New York said a little bit ago that she does not believe it is terrorism. 
She believes that maybe it was somebody who just had an accident. But it shows how much everybody's on edge. The car was speeding toward a Customs and Border Protection site. In fact, one of the border agents was injured, taken to the hospital. So there's a lot of questions tonight about all of that. We're going to talk about that and so much more. And also, later on, also in this hour, we are going to talk to great PIX11 of New York journalist Marvin Scott. And Marvin did a very famous interview in the 1960s with Abe Zapruder, the very famous guy uh, who was a quiet, mild-mannered guy who happened to bring his camera that day and capture the footage that the whole world has seen over and over again of, sadly, President, very young President John F. Kennedy being assassinated 60 years to this day. And Marvin's going to be joining us to talk about what he learned from interviewing uh, one of the rare interviews with the very famous Abe Zapruder of the Zapruder film that was bought by Congress and now is in the National Archives. So definitely we have an action-packed show. Uh, It is not a slow holiday whatsoever. First off, on the hostage deal, uh, your heart breaks because you hear about these family members. In fact, here is an aunt of the three-year-old Abigail Moore Adan. Uh, She is an American, and she is among those, they believe there's up to 10 Americans that are among the 240 hostages. That's still a lot of hostages. And this is the aunt of the three-year-old girl wondering what is going to happen now and believing that her niece will hopefully be in the first batch whenever that happens. Take a listen. It is our belief. We have not had anything confirmed. There's no lists. But we believe that a three-year-old orphan, American-Israeli, is should be a priority for release. I keep thinking about these innocent children and that no child should be held hostage. No child should be in the middle of this. And they should be released and they should come home right away to their families. And Abigail's fourth birthday is on Friday. And no child should spend their birthday as a hostage somewhere in the dark. And so we don't have any confirmation, but it is our hope and it is our belief that she will be one of the first hostages to come out. And just a few hours ago, the prime minister of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu, also did an interview. And he also spoke and addressed his nation, saying that he believed this deal was a done deal. He was at that point expecting that it would be as early as tomorrow morning, that the ceasefire would start, and then suddenly they would hopefully see 10 hostages being released in return for 30 Palestinians. It was a one-to-three ratio. And here's how he was talking just a few hours ago, sounding confident that the deal was done. Take a listen. What brought this framework are two efforts. The first effort is massive military pressure on Hamas. I'd like to praise the IDF and the Shin Bet in order to create this pressure. The second effort is the political effort, political pressure to bring the hostages back. We conducted uh, harsh negotiations and we acted to improve this framework and I talked with Joe Biden, the President of the US, again thanking him 
for his actions to improve it, and indeed it was improved. This combination of those two efforts made it possible to bring our hostages back, and I believe this will bring the, the rest of the hostages back in the next stages. This framework did not include releasing murders, and it includes the Red Cross visits and bringing medicine from the Red Cross to the hostages. And also Qatar, the country there in the Middle East, which has relations with a lot of different sides and has been brokering a lot of these other different hostage releases. This is Cut 13, and this is the Qatari Minister of State, and he sounded like the deal was also done. So take a listen. It's extremely significant because we believe that this is, is a step towards more uh, uh, positive developments. This is what we hope, at least, uh, is that this agreement will, uh, um, you know, um, invite the parties to think more about the current situations and come up with better agreements or a bigger agreement, so to speak, when it comes to that, uh, that conflict. Um, our, of course, main objective here is really to seek a permanent ceasefire and uh, stopping the bloodshed uh, of the people and improving the lives of uh, the Palestinian people. So the headline, no hostages now suddenly released before Friday, at least a 24-hour delay, a sudden one that was not expected. What do you think is going on? It seems like it is mysterious, at least to the Israeli side. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Rick, line three. Rick, uh, what do you think is up? This is interesting. I don't know what they're up to. Probably just trying to delay it for a little extra time. I did have one little idea for you, uh, Rita. They want fuel. I think we should give them tainted fuel, you know, like gasoline with sugar in it, and that will destroy their generators. And then they can't desalinize ocean water, and they won't be able to pump oxygen into the tunnel. So maybe we could smoke them out like that. Ah, very nice. You know, I mean, the the problem is, Rick— is we don't know if the hostages are in there, too. I mean, we know from what the Israelis are saying that at least some of the hostages were in those tunnels, at least the ones they believe under al-Shifa. That's the big hospital there. So they believe at least some of the tunnels there held some of the hostages. So they don't know. The problem is there are reports that they're claiming, and again, you know, claiming, I use that loosely, Rick, that Hamas is saying, well, we may not have access to all of the hostages In other words, they're saying some of these separate little groups like Islamic Jihad and all these others, I don't know if they're playing games or if they bargained them to other people or if other people took them from the start, but um, they're claiming they don't really know where they are. Do you buy that or is that a bunch of hogwash putting it nicely? They don't know where they are, but they're valuable to Hamas. So even if we did short them on water and oxygen, if they had to come out of the tunnels, They'd want to bring the hostages with them and still use them as bargaining chips. Yeah, no, that's true. The problem is you don't want to do anything that could temper the hostages or kill the hostages. You just don't know. I mean, people have even said flood it, you know, because the tunnels are, you know, you could you could actually drill. If you really knew the hostages were not in there, uh, you could flood those tunnels like there's no tomorrow. 
uh, just open, you know, drill a hole uh, and they're near sea level, open it up, you know, and boy, would that be interesting. The problem is you obviously want to try to get as many hostages as you can. It's interesting, the delay, too, because you wonder what the heck are they doing? Uh, Let's go to Rocco, line five. Rocco, what do you think is the strategy of Hamas now? Why this sudden delay? Tell you. I'll tell you what the strategy is. Israel now, Israel forever first. Happy Thanksgiving to all. The strategy is there is no strategy. There's infighting within the militant groups, including Hamas, about what they should do with these prisoners. And they can't locate all of them. They're so fractionalized. They have extreme, extreme radicals that have their prisoners and are refusing to give them up. It's a power struggle within the Hamas and all their little splinter groups. So they're having trouble and scrambling to get everyone, including little Abigail. It's a damn shame and a crime and a savage to take children and use children. That shows you what kind of animals these people, they're not human. They don't deserve any consideration. Yeah, by the way, I agree with you. Uh, the problem is we want those hostages. And you know what I worry about, Rocco, too? Uh, they see everybody around the world, not just Hamas and these crazy splinter groups, but every bad terrorist out there, and there's no good terrorist, every bad person out there who is a terrorist, because they all are, uh, and they're ruthless, and I think Hamas is among the worst of the worst, but every single one of them is seeing what happens now. That's the thing I worry about. They are now being basically, you know, rewarded, if you will, for getting the hostages. And what's happened now, they're seeing that it's at least allowed them a delay. Let's see what happens. First of all, I pray they all come home, including beautiful little Abigail, the three-year-old, which is just despicable. But it opens the floodgates for them to say, we're going to take other hostages in the future because we can get a payoff. We can get X. We can get a favor, whether it's releasing our prisoners or getting money. Uh, and boy, that puts a, a price tag on almost every American and every freedom loving person around the world. We're going to continue your calls, everybody. 1 800 848 9222. And you're listening to The Rita Cosby Show. The Rita Cosby Show. It's the Rita Cosby Show. And on this Thanksgiving Eve, it is also 60 years since the JFK assassination. I was just an idea in my mother's womb. At that point, not born yet, uh, but uh, boy, did that change the course of history and stun the world. A young, handsome, sharp, young president of America suddenly assassinated in Dallas. Well, coming up, we are going to be talking to PIX11 reporter, my friend Marvin Scott, uh, who was one of the lucky folks who talked to Abe Zapruder, who did that very, very famous film, uh, that has gone into the record books of history where he captured the assassination. He just was out there looking to see the president filming that moment. And his film 
captured that fateful moment in history. And we're going to talk with Marvin about his thoughts. Here it is, 60 years later. What did he learn from the man who saw it firsthand? And where he thinks uh, maybe avenues that should be looked into after all this time. Plus, we are also still waiting for what was supposed to be a, you know, um, uh, early release of these hostages. They were expected to be out in a matter of hours. It was suddenly a big breakthrough that was bartered and organized by Qatar, which has had a lot of success in the past. And they were expecting that they would get out 10, then there would be 30 Palestinians, another 10, another 30, eventually as many as 50, and then another 10 after that, almost every day, if Israel and Hamas agreed to it. And suddenly, in the last few hours, there has been some snag, and everyone is reporting it as a mystery delay by Hamas. What are they up to? Are they just playing games, or do they not know maybe where some of these hostages are? What are your thoughts? 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Bruce. Uh, Bruce, what do you think? Well, number one, you don't deal with the This is BS. You don't deal with the devil. Stop talking to the devil. Don't make deals with the devil. That's number rule number one. You always lose in the end when you do that. Rule another thing. These are not these are this is a war crime. You cannot take civilians and use them as prisoners of war. That's that can be tried in The Hague. That is totally illegal to do that. Yeah, I by the way, and Bruce, I hear you. The problem is uh, they're going to meet a bigger fate than The Hague. The Israelis would like for them to meet a missile. You know, uh, they'd like to see them put in dust. And by the way, I agree with them, given what they did to the Israelis. Cosby is on. The Rita Cosby Show presents Back the Blue. And in tonight's Back the Blue segment, which I love doing every night here on the Rita Cosby Show, where we get to honor our great men and women in law enforcement, a powerful story coming from Tulsa, Oklahoma. I have a lot of friends in that area. Well, officers with the Tulsa Police Department were heralded by doctors saying that the officer's quick response saved a man's life when they were out on patrol. It was happened around 2 o'clock and two Tulsa police officers pulled into a gas station. They noticed that a car there was parked strangely against a curb with an unconscious person behind the wheel. The officers tried to wake the person up and then realized that the car was in drive. They determined that it was best to break open a window and put the car into park before pulling the person from the car. Officers say they found the person was not breathing and didn't have a pulse. Officers then immediately performed CPR until paramedics and the local fire department arrived on the scene. Thankfully, paramedics were able to help the man regain a pulse and start breathing again before he was taken to the hospital. The doctors there credited the officers, saying their quick response undoubtedly saved the man's life. Tulsa police said that with Thanksgiving coming up now just a few hours away at the most, depending where you are listening to the show, 
They are proud and thankful for its officers' insightful response and their hard work during this incident. Bravo to the great men and women in blue. And how fantastic that they noticed an unusual car, went over to it, and were able to save that man's life just in the nick of time. Well, it is amazing because many of you may realize that it was 60 years ago today that John F. Kennedy, our president, was assassinated. And one man captured it all on film, Abe Zapruder. He was a mild-mannered man who almost didn't bring his camera that day and didn't do a lot of interviews except with our next guest, who is legendary New York newsman Marvin Scott. He has way too many Emmys for me to mention and way too many great awards. He is the senior correspondent at PIX11 News. And first, here's a little bit of a major exclusive interview that he did years ago with the legendary Abe Zapruder. Take a listen to this report. The museum has told me they learned more about Abraham Zapruder from my 22-minute radio interview than anything he told the Warren Commission or others. His name and film are forever embedded in American history. The irony of it all? Zapruder told me he actually forgot to bring his camera that day to film the president he loved, but turned out to be a recording of one of the nation's darkest moments. I wouldn't have had the pictures at all if it wasn't for my secretary, Mrs. Rogers, who made me go home and get the camera. I didn't have a camera with me at all that morning. And uh, she insisted I go home and get the camera. The images he recorded are seared in America's collective consciousness, whether you lived through it at the time or one of the millions who have been born since. The visual images of a young president being brutally murdered endured as a deeply personal experience. With his 8mm camera in hand, Zapruder checked out three spots before finally positioning himself at the lower left corner of this grassy knoll in front of the Texas School Book Depository Building. It was a perfect vantage point to film the president's motorcade. His narration is added from a portion of the interview I did with him in 1966. The images are extremely graphic. I saw the motorcycles, then the car approached, and uh, Jacqueline and the president were waving. And as it came in line with my camera, I heard a shot. I saw the president lean over to Jacqueline, then the second shot came. And then I realized I saw his head open up, and I started yelling, they killed him, they killed him. And I continued shooting until he went under the underpass. The film runs 26.6 seconds, but over the years it has gone through thousands of hours of frame-by-frame scrutiny. It was the centerpiece of every official investigation. The Warren Commission ruled on it in reaching the conclusion that Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone, but the film also fueled many of the conspiracy theories. In 1979, a congressional committee established to reinvestigate the assassination concluded that there was, quote, probably a second gunman who shot from the grassy knoll, just adjacent to where Zapruder was standing when he shot the film. But Zapruder told me he did not hear a second gunman. Do you feel the shots perhaps came from behind the fence or behind you on the grassy knoll? No, as a matter of fact, I heard some uh, comments about us, and I went back to the place where I stood when I shot these pictures. 
and looked to that uh, wooden fence that we're talking about, I believe it's about between 30 or 35 feet away from where I was standing. I believe I would have heard different sound, a shot coming from my uh, coming from my right ear. Zapruder's camera is now in the National Archives. A new camera Bell and Howell sent him was never used. He told me he could never again put his eye to the viewfinder because it rekindled all the images of that awful day in Dallas. In 1999, the government paid the Zapruder family $16 million for the original 8mm film, a record for a historical artifact. It is now preserved in the National Archives. Abraham Zapruder died in 1970 a quiet, unassuming man who never expected to be immortalized by a horrible moment in history. His images have frozen in time. I'm Marvin Scott, PIX11 News. And joining us now is Marvin Scott of PIX11 News in New York, this longtime senior correspondent there. Uh, Marvin, I can't believe, and I'm sure you can't believe, It has been 60 years since the assassination. Um, And you get this amazing interview with Zapruder and his film, as you talked about, is in the museums. Uh, Did you realize uh, you were a kid then uh, that you were sitting on this enormous (laughs) scoop that's now a part of history? Well, I I knew he was the get. And first, thanks for that that wonderful introduction, Rita. Uh, It's good to be with you. Uh, That was the get interview. I went to Dallas. I was with a mutual radio network at the time, and I went to do two stories. One is for the third anniversary, the third observance of the assassination in 1966, and I was determined to get the interview with Abraham Zapruder. According to the Sixth Floor Museum, it was only one of six interviews he ever did. He was a very private man, did not like publicity. He shied away from it. And when I got him on the phone, he said, oh, Mr. Scott, thank you very much. But I really don't want to do an interview. I don't let him off the hook that easily. We kept on chatting for about 15 or 20 minutes. I knew he grew up in Brooklyn until the age of 15. And I talked to him about New York. And I said, hey, you're from Brooklyn. I'm a kid. I grew up in the Bronx. Here we are, two different boroughs. We engaged in conversation. After a while, he started asking me questions about my background. We seemed to bond. After that period of time, he said, can you be here at 2 o'clock? That's what did it. Our New York connection got me the interview with Abraham Zapruder that day. And when I got to his office, he was in a building just right off the uh, grassy, from the grassy knoll. I asked if he would join me going down to the spot where he stood the day he took the film. He and his receptionist, Marilyn Sitzman, who was about 20 years his junior, they joined me. He stood at the very spot. And as you heard in that, uh, that report I just did, his narration he described exactly what he saw at that location. And the film runs 26.6 seconds. My audio portion of that interview was about 33 and a half seconds, and it was a little nip and a tuck in the editing. We brought it down to match that I knew from the very outset, once I saw that film, that I could take a portion of the interview and have it sound like he's narrating it, which he is. Now, um, in this, what I thought was interesting, that he was, what, near the grassy knoll. He didn't hear a second gunman. But it's interesting, Marvin, because there's a lot of reports. Obviously, everybody's talking about this being the anniversary. And if you see the film, some people say it looks like Kennedy was shot from the front. Um, it, what, how did, did he just kind of poo-poo the thought of a second gunman? 
I've been influenced by what he told me and what Marilyn Fitzman told me. As he said in that soundbite, he was standing at a location that was 88 yards from the Texas School Book Depository Building, where the Warren Commission has ruled that Lee Harvey Oswald took his shot from. Now, he was also standing by that grassy knoll, by that picket fence, which many of the conspiracy theorists claim there was a second shooter. He was only 45 feet from there versus 80 yards from the building. He did not hear, he or Marilyn, they neither of them heard any sound coming from what would have been their right ear. Their left ear heard two distinct shots. Now, I, I mentioned two shots. There were three shots that were fired according to the findings of the Warren Commission, but he said he was so traumatized after he saw the, head, the president's head explode from that shot that he didn't hear anything. And he also was surprised. He said he was probably paralyzed at that moment, so traumatized that he held his camera steady until the car went under the underpass to uh, Parkland Hospital. So I've been influenced by what these two people told me, what they heard, where they were standing. And I know there are many, many theories. A lot of people are claiming it was a second shot and how the, the wound hit the head. I, I'm not a forensic expert. I don't know. All I know is what I heard from the two people who were standing there that day, and that has influenced me uh, over the years. But I am no longer convinced that there wasn't more to the story. I do believe Lee Harvey Oswald was the lone shooter, but there's more to the story, Rita. And I don't believe that we will know the full story until the government releases the last of the documents. They've released about 97%, some 5 million pages, but there are still things that are being withheld, and who knows what's in there. I mean, there are lots of theories about it. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. They have not been released. Uh, President Trump also had an opportunity. He said, you know, he wasn't going to release them. Uh, there were some sensitive things. It'll be interesting to see if at what point a president, like you said, uh, releases it. What was the most surprising thing, Marv, we just have about a minute or two, um, from talking to Zapruder and seeing the scene um, and, and witnessing that moment in history? Were there things that really uh, came to life to you and really surprised you? Not really, because I think his film captured the horrifying moment. And nothing beyond that could could, could say more about that moment. And no film, I mean, that historic film, there's never been a film like that showing an actual murder of such horrific nature as seeing the head, the, the, a bullet hitting uh, the president's head and seeing the first lady climbing off the back of that car. But that that was shocking enough, Rita. That was, uh, it was just awful, awful. And and. Hearing it from the man who took that film, he never wanted any publicity. He didn't want notoriety. He was a very private man, and he his images originally were given to Life magazine, and they gave him one hundred fifty thousand dollars. He contributed about fifty thousand to the J.D. Tippett family. He was the police officer who was shot, and the family received sixteen million dollars in nineteen ninety nine about 
$615,000 per second of that film. It was the most ever paid for historic document. I believe uh, an original print of the Declaration of Independence only got $2 million. So it puts it in perspective. Absolutely. And by the way, uh, everybody, we are talking uh, to the great journalist Marvin Scott, senior correspondent for PIX11 in New York News. Uh, Marvin, you have captured, you you did your book As I Saw It, and it has these amazing pictures of uh, Marilyn Monroe. I think of Martin Luther King. You have been witness to so many different pieces of history, and this moment is really extraordinary, capturing it. Where can people, real quick, uh, see the whole, like, sort of play-by-play uh, if they want to go, because if they want to go, especially uh, so many folks still seeking answers about the JFK assassination? Well, that report they can see on our website, which is pix11.com. And that should be up there right now. Uh, the piece that uh, you just played on the air, uh, it was seen on our 10 o'clock broadcast tonight. So, uh, And then the full audio, right? The full audio is at the uh, at the museum. Oh, good. thanks for your lead, Rita. <laughs> yes, you go to the uh, website. The uh, I donated my cassettes uh, to the museum, and they are on the website. Plus, I did a living history uh, interview with a curator at the museum, and that's all on their website at the Sixth Floor Museum at Dealey Plaza. How and cool put is my that? Name in, put my name in or put Zapruder's name in and we'll come up. Bravo, bravo, bravo. Thank you for sharing this incredible piece of history with us, especially on <laughs> this day. Thank you, Marvin, so much. Thank you, Rita. Thank, thank you so much. Thank you very, very much. So interesting to hear that moment in history from someone who spoke to Abe Zapruder, as you just heard, one of six interviews uh, that Zapruder did in his entire life. We're going to take your calls when we come back. 1-800-848-9222. It's the Rita Cosby Show. This is the Rita Cosby Show. And everybody, this is Rita Cosby. Be sure to have peace of mind for the unexpected. Don't get caught unprepared. We live in dangerous and unstable times. Pandemics, international insecurity, shortages, supply chain disruptions, and an economy that's on the brink. We know that we simply cannot trust the government to protect us. And now more than ever, everybody needs to be prepared, you and your family. Being prepared is more than just stockpiling ammo, food, and supplies. Being prepared should also include stockpiling critical prescription medications. And that's where the wellness company comes in. Their medical emergency kit contains the prescription antibiotics, antivirals, and antiparasitics that you need to keep you and your family safe. From anthrax to tick bites to COVID and even to a bioweapon like the plague, the Wellness Company's medical emergency kit is exactly what you need to have on hand to be prepared. So go to twc.health 
forward slash Rita Cosby today. Again, that's twc.health forward slash Rita Cosby today. Don't miss the Black Friday sale available right now. Go to twc.health forward slash Rita Cosby. Use the promo code KIT15 and you will save 15% on your emergency medical kit. Promo code MEMBER20 saves 20% on memberships for additional discounts. Now, more than ever, we need to be prepared. This is amazing. I'm getting one. Uh, I think you should absolutely get one, too. These are such difficult and uncertain times, and we need to be ready. We need to be prepared. This gives you peace of mind for you and your family. So go to twc.health forward slash Rita Cosby and get the Wellness Company's Medical Emergency Kit. It is the best thing you can do this holiday season. And a big, again, Black Friday sale. You will get huge discounts. Check it out online right now. And we continue with your calls, everybody. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Mordecai, line one. Mordecai, uh, I know you want to talk about what happened. Speaking of uncertain times, uh, this scary moment today with this car on the U.S.-Canadian border, and it suddenly blew up. Yeah, Rita, I wanted to talk about that as well, as well as the, um, you know, you know, continue our conversation from yesterday about Israel. Um, by the way, is that, is that going to be uploaded to the, uh, to the podcast? Because I, I went on online and it was, uh, November 20th was the last one. Which one are you talking about? Which one are you talking about? Um, I was talking about yesterday, uh, November 21st. Is that going to be uploaded? Yeah, to the podcast it, it should, it should be up there. Usually it takes a couple hours. You can also, by the way, go to my Twitter feed. Uh, you can go to at Rita Cosby, and I know we uh, we have it up there and also on WABC's Twitter feed, but it's definitely there. Sometimes it takes okay, a couple hours. Okay. Um, so so as for the car, right? But, uh, by the um, way, I'm glad that you're checking it. I love that. Thank you, Mordecai. <laughs> I, I wanted to I wanted to uh, screen record my, my bit when I called you and, and post it in my groups and shout you out, you know, get people to get more people to uh, listen to your show. Thank um, you. Thank you very much. And, and by the way, we are doing gangbusters. We are one of the biggest shows, by the way, in the country. Uh, thanks to people like you, because we talk common sense. There you go. So as for the car, right, um, I believe that, I mean, regardless of what Kathy Hochul says, I, I do believe that it was, uh, that it was, I think, I mean, look, unless it's disproven, I think it's, a, I think it was a terror attack or an attempted terrorist attack, because I, I did read some reports um, from different news, news from different news people saying that their sources said it was a uh, uh, there was explosives underneath, um, but they didn't find the secondary device like an, you know, uh, a uh, detonator. Yeah. And by the way, there were some reports of that initially, but then they figured out apparently it was somebody who was having some health issues. I think came back from a casino. Uh, they seem to think it's ruled out, which is good news. But we have to be on guard. 